Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we proclaim your name as glorious, as worthy of reverence, as worthy of devotion. Lord, increase our prayer, our desire to pray, our capacity to pray well. Lord, we do fall short in our prayer times, in our fervor, and in the frequency, and in the extent of our prayer. And so, Lord, have mercy on us. Show us your kindness. Lord, give us uh, the graces of prayer. Just let them shower down upon our family members. I pray for each of your families, each of those who are listening. I pray for you, that you'd grow in the gift of prayer, that you grow in the gift of prayer in your family. And so for your spouses, your parents, your siblings, your children, your grandchildren, uh, your nephews and nieces, all of your uh, baptismal sponsors, uh, uh, all those all for whom you are godparents and confirmation sponsors. We just lift all of these dear ones that are in our lives and connected to us, Lord. Lord, increase our prayer. Increase our, uh, our communion with you, our communication with you, Lord. Lord, we're sorry for falling short. We're sorry for settling for less. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to grow. Help us to grow in knowing you, loving you, and honoring you through our prayer. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so several things to do today. Quick update on, oh yeah, that's right. The The path of humility is to be walked each and every day when I ask my guardian angel, and I give my guardian angel permission to humble me each and every day. I have a couple of sharings of the last couple of days. Why do I share these things? Why, Tom, why are you talking about getting humbled again? <laughs> I, for a few reasons. I think the first reason is um, I want you to know that I'm walking the path of faith along with you. All right? I haven't arrived. Uh, being on the radio, being... Uh, uh, having a degree, all these different things doesn't mean that I speak from a place of, um, I got it all together and hopefully you guys one day will catch up. No, we're all walking on this path together. As a friend of mine said, as I was sharing with him about his particular sufferings, he was, um, he's been suffering through an ongoing trial for quite a while. And I said, man, the Lord is making you a saint through all of this suffering. And he said, well, I don't know about that, but the Lord will either make me a saint or I'll die trying. (laughs) Or I'll either become a saint or I'll die trying. And I thought, what a great phrase. Uh, I will, Lord, make me a saint. Or give me the grace to die trying. I want to become a saint or I want to die trying. That, what a powerful sentiment. What a powerful sentiment about saying that what's a really important in life? What, what's a goal? What's something that we focus on? What's something that we give ourselves over to? But the path of, of sanctification. So I know that in my life, um, one of the biggest sins that holds me back in my spiritual life is pride. Is pride not in the form of trying to exalt myself above God. That's one display of pride, 
but rather it's from the standpoint of um, being able to fully entrust myself to the Lord, every aspect of my life to the Lord. It's harder for me, maybe for you too, to trust in those places in our lives, in those, place, in those places in my life, I'll speak for myself, where I have some matured expertises, where I have lots of experience, a bit of understanding, and have developed a kind of confidence in my capacity to be able to make something happen, get her to go. And so the idea that um, somehow um, I'm going to be asked to trust and entrust myself to God or those that are impacted uh, by me, if they're under my care, like especially my family members, it can be hard to trust if all of a sudden in those areas where things are going well, seemingly because of me and the use of my gifts, then all of a sudden things are become threatened or fragile. I feel like I'm on thin ice or, oh no, all of a sudden things are not so clear anymore. And in that sense of being out of control, right? They're, they're kind of spinning out of control. It's like, do you trust that God's here? Do you trust that God sees you in this? Do, do you trust that God's got this? Do you trust that God has a plan, a providential plan, a good plan, and he's going to see you through, he's with you every step of the way? Well, okay, so there's one manifestation of pride in my life, and the Lord um, is using humility to address that. I think there's another form of pride where the Lord is saying to me, uh, I'm going to, humility will be an antidote, is in thinking uh, too highly of myself, uh, superior, right? So that sense of condescension or arrogance, that that manifestation of pride. And so um, I I have the, the, the most recent instances of humility for me yesterday and today. So real, this is real-time stuff going on. <laughs> and yesterday and today means Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm recording this on Wednesday night, listening on Thursday morning. So uh, yesterday I had a basketball game, and we were playing a good team. This is, again, this is junior high girls, okay? So sixth to eighth grade team, and we, we have a good team, right? We are undefeated, blah, blah, blah. Um, we've got some good players, and we're playing one of the better teams, right? Arguably the second or third best team. And um, we're getting ready for the tournament, the end of the season tournament, which is really our point of focus. And I've made it a point to play all the girls on my team, all 17 of them, with as much sense of everyone's going to get involved and let's make sure everyone has meaningful minutes. You've heard me talk about this. Well, in order to get ready for the tournament, I started my best players at the beginning of the game, something I didn't ordinarily do. And I said to them, girls, I want you to play your hardest in order to help us get ready for the tournament. So here we are playing against this team, a really good team. And the, um, the, you know, the strength of my starting girls just really showed up at the beginning of the game. We, we got out to a really large lead at the beginning. Um, very quickly, we're up over 10 points. And in a girls' junior high game, that can be quite a bit. So we're, we're up by almost 20 points, and I pulled the girls out, the starters, and I started to blend in um, all of the players. First, uh, no one else, and then... And 
I let them play against this uh, other team in their starting group. And so the starters on this other team um, are, again, they're good players. Well, they start um, coming back and they're battling back and they're battling back. And I let this go on for the next three quarters. And by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, we're, we're losing by five points. And I kind of put my starters back in there and said, okay, girls, time to play under pressure, time to learn how to play from behind uh, and, you know, battle back. And so they did, and we ended up just squeaking out a victory. Uh, these girls, the other team had some momentum, and my girls had kind of gotten cold from not really playing. <laughs> and so it was a really, really close game, and we ended up winning by, I don't know, one or two points at the very end. And at the end of the game, a fellow that I um, had just met um, on the phone, like literally a couple days before, um, in the context of kind of giving him some guidance in, in real estate, a, a wonderful Catholic guy with a big Catholic family. He's He's got a, a boy on the boys team. Well, the boys team shows up towards the end of the game in order to just catch the very last part of the game because their game is following our game. And so he comes in and he's like, yeah, wow, you know, we really had you there. That was, we had some real opportunities and you guys just were able to squeak it out at the end. Congratulations, man. You really kind of just, you know, got by us kind of saying you got lucky. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to stand for that. I wasn't going to let that stand at all. There's my pride. There is my pride. It would have been, how, how easy would it have been? To just simply say, yeah, you're right. We were behind and your girls did, you know, let a couple opportunities slip by and they let victory just slip out of their grasp. I could have simply humbled myself and let that stand. Just let that be there. Is it, is it really that big a deal to, to correct this guy, to give him the full picture, to explain to him that, in fact, well, you know what? Actually, we were up 19 to 5 in the first quarter. And, and then I took out my starters, and that's when your girls came back. Uh, did I have to say that? Right? I, I didn't have to say that. I didn't have to bring up the full picture and correct him right there after the game and let him know, no, you know what? It was only because I, I'm a gracious, kind coach, and I like to put in all my girls and and if that other coach was going to just play her starters and try to fight back against my less experienced players, well, good for her, right? Oh, man, I'm even doing it now. So I came away from that, and I shared that with Carrie. And she's like, wow, Tom, God is teaching you something here. He, you better take this to prayer and just say, Lord, what is it inside of me that just has that need to, um, like, I don't know, to put, put to, to, to lift myself up, to lift up my, my thing, in this instance, my team. Why couldn't I just let it go? So it was something I took to the Lord in prayer. I just had to say, all right, Lord, I, I just repent. I repent of that sort of condescending, arrogant, uh, proud attitude that I displayed. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my pride. Thank you for the revelation of my, uh, my pride 
in that circumstance and of my need for humility. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So that was yesterday. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's, hopefully that's relevant to someone out there listening that, um, you know, we don't always need to correct others. We don't always need to be, to be right. We don't always need to somehow um, shift how people are looking at something in order to change, in some ways, their impression of us. I, I, well, let me just say it this way. I don't think that fellow, his impression of me changed for the better when I corrected his, when I, when I gave him a better understanding of what happened in the game. I don't think he just said, wow, boy, Tom's an amazing coach and has a great team. I think he said, dang, why did that guy feel a need to say that? <laughs> so that, well, there you go. So that was yesterday. Today was a little different. So today I, I was making a, uh, a drive um, from Spokane out past Moses Lake, again, serving um, this family um, who is moving. They're moving from um, outside of Moses Lake to, to um, Coeur d'Alene. And I'm helping them. I'm helping them get their house ready for sale and um, helping them buy a house on the Coeur d'Alene side. And I love doing this. I, I mean, I just love getting out there, praying with these folks, um, and then helping them just sort of understand how to best stage the house and get it ready for sale and just sort of walking them through that and praying, talking, discussing, and then helping them find solutions on the other side, right? So if I could do that for you, love to be able to serve you as well. Uh, MyCatholicFaith.org, just be in touch with me at MyCatholicFaith.org. You can just send me a little message, contact Tom. So here I am serving them. When I had driven, when I when I drove out, uh, to meet with them. It was a couple hour ride. Um, I said, oh, don't forget, bring some Advil and some Tylenol, some ibuprofen and some acetaminophen for my tooth. So you remember the really humbling act of me falling and hitting my head and getting a concussion and cracking a tooth and I had to put a crown on a tooth in the back. It was a temporary crown. Well, that was over a week ago, and it is still killing me. It is painful. And so three times a day, I'm taking um, three Advil and two Tylenol for pain. And when I get, I don't know, four or five hours in, I can feel the background pain. And by six hours in, close to seven hours in, I need to go after the next round of medicine to go after the pain. Well, I forgot it. And by the time I arrived on site, it had been about five or six hours and I was starting to feel the pain. And I decided to offer it up. I said, I'm gonna offer up this pain for, the, for this family and their journey. And I felt pretty kind of heroic, kind of saintly until what happened next, which I'll tell you about on Sound Insight after this break. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So here I am serving this family and starting to feel this pain in the very back of my uh, back molar where the, the temporary cap is on. The, the throbbing pain is starting. And I had these like really devout, cool, you know, yeah, I'm going to offer this up for them. <laughs> it 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 was really good in my mind. In my imagination, it was, yeah, this is 
this is going to be a beautiful, sweet, secret act to help win favor before the Lord and and just um, open up some like channels of grace through my penance and uh, in my offering up of suffering on their behalf for a fruitful uh, move for their lives. Okay, yeah, wonderful. Um, by the end of my visit with them, a couple hours as we were talking through um, just the whole process of of selling their home, listing their home, and staging their home. I'm like, I need some Advil. This is terrible. This pain is horrible. So I ended up um, giving, ask, I just asked them for some Advil, and, and they gave me some, and I took it. And as I'm driving away, I uh, ended up, uh, Carrie had called, I called her back, and the pain was so bad, I like could barely focus. It was terrible. And it was so humbling to me, so humbling to me, how, like, I I don't know if the word is weak or wimpy or how much I just take for granted the medical system and the healthcare system that has like this kind of care available to us where I can access pain-killing medication like on the spot and within 20 minutes dull the pain. Within a half an hour, it's fine. I don't even notice it. And I just, just driving back, was just so humbled before the Lord for my lack of appreciation and gratitude to him for the mercy. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Did nothing to figure it out. I was simply born in America at this time and have the gracious gift of being able to live in a way that gives me access to simple pain-killing medicine and the ability to address dental issues by going to dentists who have the tools to be able to fix the like the problem I had with my tooth that I when I cracked it and I again I just I was talking about with Carrie when I got home I just said how many people are in this world who have some kind of similar accident and they have access neither to like professional dental care or pain medication. Like, what did they do? I was just saying how it was, it was, um, when I say paralyzing, I mean, it was, it, was, it was hard for me to focus on anything other than the pain at that point when I was driving until the medication made its way in and addressed it. And I just thought, dear Lord Jesus, bless my brothers and sisters in the, in the human family who have medical issues and no ability to address the pain that's involved in their lives, or the medical uh, professionals and healthcare services to address the condition they're facing. How, How much do we just take for granted good things on this earth that billions of people don't have access to and we have it and just take it for granted and 
and, and how much do we ever even consider putting the good things that God has placed in our hands at the service of others? So I know that that was a big leap there. I just went from, you know, an ad, Advil, a pill of Advil to the sufferings of my brothers and sisters in parts of the world that don't have, you know, hospitals and medications. But there is a link. At least let me just say the Lord drove home that link in my mind today. Uh, or my guardian angel did. My guardian angel got to take something that began for me as a mistake, turned into a devotional act of offering up, which turned into, I can't do this. This is too hard. Let me access medication to cause the throbbing to go away, to making me realize, holy cow, I've been given the gift of being able to do something to make it go away. And there are way too many brothers and sisters in the community of the human family who don't have that. You know, I remember in the seminary in Rome talking with a, a fellow. His name's David Fleming. He's now a Monsignor in, a, in Dubuque, Iowa. Um, I just remember this conversation I had with him. I My background was very much in... Um, in terms of spirituality, very much charismatic, evangelistic, apologetic, uh, very fervent and devout. Um, his was much more associated with social justice, and he he loved the Lord, loved the church. It wasn't that he was uh, unorthodox or uh, heterodox in his beliefs, but he had this sense of um, care for the poor. And I can remember us Talking, we we had a you know very friendly relationship. It's not that we were friends, but that we both had this sense of like wanting to be principled and living out our beliefs. And and I was I don't know I, I somehow we we got a conversation in about fasting or poverty, and he said that you know you really don't you don't really experience poverty here. This is your your decision to fast is. You know, it's 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 laudable, but at any moment, if you ever were to get hungry, you could just go to the refrigerator and address it and be done. So, you know, that type of, of fasting, while good, that kind of attempt to express spiritual poverty is laudable, but true poverty is when you face a poverty of choice to be able to exit that situation of poverty. And I remember when he said that, I was like, wait a minute, what did you just say? True poverty is having a poverty of choice to be able to leave that situation of poverty that you're facing. So I can say, oh yeah, I'm fasting and so I'm not going to eat anything between um, breakfast and dinner, or I'm not going to have anything until I get to lunchtime. And then I'm just going to have a small salad and then uh, I'll eat a meal at dinner time. And can begin to think, oh, wow, look at me, spiritual Superman here. Look at I'm fasting today. And, and his point is, yeah, good for you. And what about those folks who have no choice but 
to forego having breakfast today have no option but to have a tiny little bit of salad at lunch. And they feel so grateful and blessed that at dinner time they get to have um, a, a bit of sustenance to be able to make it through the day and into the next day. They don't have an option not to do that. That's their situation. That's their reality. They don't have um, choice to go to the refrigerator and just break that fast. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty pretty humbling, pretty convicting. Um, it doesn't mean don't fast, but it does mean um, a little bit of dose of humility with regards to what you're actually giving up when you're fasting, even in the way that I just described, because you always have the off-ramp of the food that you know is in the pantry, is in the refrigerator, or is accessible because you can just drive down the street and go to the fast food restaurant or the supermarket. When those things are not options, there you go. That's a fundamentally different circumstance. So living in a greater sense of solidarity and stewardship of the good things that are given to us in Lent um, can mean very much um, realizing that we're called to be generous. We're called to extend ourselves in ways that are not ordinary, not typical, and to do so without drawing attention to it, to do so without a sense of saying, wow, I'm, I'm really being a spiritual superman because I'm comparing myself to the, the great majority of folks who are not doing even those things that I'm doing instead of saying I'm focused on the wrong people. If I'm going to do any kind of compare and contrast, first of all, look at the saints and look at the Lord. But secondly, if you're going to look at other human beings, look at those people who don't have the choice. And that'll be enough. You'll be ready to go to confession or at least fall on your knees and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so the latest and greatest is not only from today, but from tonight. So I'm recording this um, late in the evening on Wednesday. You're hearing it on Thursday morning. We had family prayer tonight and uh, praying the rosary. So gathered the, we, we prayed late enough that the three youngest ones were in bed already. And so it was the uh, three oldest uh, kids still in the home. Uh, my senior, sophomore, and freshman kids, along with Carrie and me. And so we got together, and um, we started with, uh, we, we have our old Holy Spirit prayer, you know, and we pray the rosary, and, and we've added the Divine Mercy Chaplet at the end of our other prayers um, during Lent. Um, but as we started in with um, the rosary, I, I wanted to... Um, draw out of my kids a sense of personal involvement, that this isn't just a rote prayer. It's not about just checking the box and saying the words, but kind of wandering off in your mind and just barely like scratching the surface of being present in the prayer time. So I said, why don't we go around the circle and have each of us say a prayer to the Lord that's more personal regarding what's on our hearts, what's, what's right now striking you in your own uh, you know, intentions or intercessions, and, um, and just whatever you'd like to say to the Lord as we uh, are about to start the rosary. And as we went around, um, you know, a couple of my kids um, you know, were, uh, well, it, just to say this, the, 
I don't know if somehow I think that, you know, if I just like ask the right thing, then somehow my kids are going to awaken in that moment with the grace of an authentic, personal, profound prayer. And it wasn't that it was bad. Like if you saw a video of it, you'd say, wow, that's really cool. Um, well, that's pretty good. Or maybe some of you say, yeah, that's nothing. Come and watch my kids pray. <laughs> then you need that dose of humility. But um, after we went around and did that, I, it didn't have quite the impact that I was hoping it would have. But be that as it may, we got launched into the rosary. And this is where um, it was, uh, again, another one of those pause and remember moments. Tom, look in the mirror. I'm speaking to you first, but I'll just share it with you all. Um, as we did, two of my kids were not really engaged in the prayer, um, even at an external in an external mode. So one of my kids, I really couldn't hear. Couldn't I couldn't hear her say the words out loud, uh, the words of the prayers. And the other one was going way faster than we were. So not sort of joining in unison. And so I just, um, I just, in my mind was like, okay, be patient, be kind, but be clear. And so I gently, between the, you know, the creed and the Our Father, or between the Our Father and the first of the three Hail Marys for faith, hope, and love, I just, could we please pray together? same pace and we could we please pray out loud and let's put some effort into it like we mean it and of course that meant everybody then fell to their knees and started praying in latin with great devotion no that's not what happened and so at the end of the next hail mary i addressed it again the same um, made really similar comment but was a little bit more direct and then after the next Hail Mary, one last time, just put it out there. Here's here's really what we're looking to attain here. And and then mostly after that, let it go as we started praying the, 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 the five mysteries. And what came to me in the midst of all this was a couple of things. Um, I just shared with you at the beginning of the, uh, just a little bit ago about the the reality of the, the poverty of choice, right? And how we ought to up our game in terms of appreciating um, how we're called to more extensive generosity on behalf of others who don't have that choice. And I think that applies here because my kids don't really have a choice about being present and praying the rosary or not. And because they have a poverty of choice, it can be harder for them to make the choice to enter into the prayer with devotion. And what I wanted to do was avoid the easy path. The easy path is simply to critique them, to bark at them and say, pray better in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. I'm going to make you pray another rosary, right? Making the punishment, the, the actual prayer. Um, but not going down that trail, but instead saying, I am not praying hard enough for my kids. I am not sacrificing enough. I'm not doing enough penance. I'm not doing enough prayer on behalf of my kids. Do I see in their lack of devotion a mirror reflecting back to me my need to up my game in the fervor and devotion that I have for the Lord? Interesting question. I'll continue this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnan. 
I'm, I'm bringing up this principle that says this, that it is really convenient and easy for us when we see our kids falling short, in, in this instance, in a matter that's spiritual, like how well they're praying the rosary, to point the finger, blame, critique, and ask them to up their game. Without maybe often enough, or ever, or first of all, pointing the finger back at ourselves. That's harder. That's a little more humbling to first stop and say, what I see in their engagement level of the rosary is a reflection of my own commitment to pray for them, to pray on their behalf and in their place in, in a hidden way, in a way that they're not going to know about in a way that I'm not going to draw attention to. You know, it's not like, do you realize how much fasting and praying I'm doing for you? Do you have any idea? And this is all you're bringing to the table? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's probably not the most effective way to (laughs) to have a spiritual impact on their lives. But do you? Do you realize the connection between your prayers for your kids and the fruit that will be born in their prayer lives, that their prayer lives are not only a, a function of you, um, you know, slave driving them into um, times of prayer, whether that's mass, whether that is um, some kind of morning prayer, uh, prayer at dinner, uh, evening prayer, family prayer, getting them to memorize prayers. And none of these things, like all of these things, all those things that I just mentioned, Well, some of them are really essential, like keeping holy the Lord's Day and going to Mass, especially on Sundays. Yeah, absolutely. Getting them into a habit of um, saying prayers and memorizing the, you know, fundamental, you know, foundational prayers in our life of faith, like the Lord's Prayer, like the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, the... uh, the St. Michael Prayer, the Act of Contrition, the Apostles' Creed, right? all of this, so much we can say about how good and fundamental these things are, but they also have to reach the heart. They also have to reach to the heart. And the heart's hidden from us. We don't have direct access or ability to say to our kids, okay, now we're going to put a fire into your heart and you're going to become fired up in this time of prayer. No, that's, that's a work of God, but the Lord works through those whom he has placed in relationship, especially a relationship of authority. Parents, that's you. So that means that there is an intimate connection and a stewardship that the Lord honors with regards to your prayers for your kids. So... Uh, tonight, in our time of the rosary, I was humbled around, okay, I'm, I need to not forget that how my kids are showing up in prayer is, a, is at least in one facet, not the only facet, maybe not even the most important facet, but it is in one facet, an indicator, a sign, a pointer to how well how often, how vigorously, how consistently, how uh, devoutly I am praying for my kids. And 
this is not just my idea. I have my Summa Theologica opened. I promised you at the beginning of the program that in this program I was going to reference um, a whole bunch of things, including the Office of Readings from this morning. Incredible, by the way. Incredible. This incredible reading from St. Augustine. My goodness. Powerful. Um, but also the Summa Theologica, um, the second part of the second part, on prayer. It is, um, it's one of the longer articles. It's one of the longer questions in the Summa Theologica. You know, there's like 17 different articles in this, um, in just this one question of prayer, question 83. Um, and so I don't have time to go through all of the 17 articles, the 17 questions that he asks. But there is several where there are some beautiful insights that I was like, okay, let me go back to these because these are really helpful for me to remember when it comes to my own prayer and when it comes to me helping to foster, teach, instill prayer in my kids' lives. So we're going to lean on the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, for some beautiful and sound insight regarding prayer. So some of the questions that he asks are really cool. Like, for instance, the 14th article is whether prayer should last a long time. Isn't that a cool question? He answers that in the Summa Theologica. How about uh, the 16th article, whether sinners gain anything from God by their prayers? Do sinners gain anything from God through their prayers? fascinating question. Is prayer meritorious? The 11th article, whether the saints in heaven pray for us. Number of the 12th article, whether prayer should be vocal. Should you pray out loud? The 13th article, whether attention is a necessary condition of prayer. Whether attention, think again, praying the rosary now as a family, kids, are you paying attention? Is that a necessary condition of prayer? So, Let's dive in and let's take a look at some of these articles. Again, I don't have time to go into all of them, but just want to be able to begin with um, the beautiful um, the beautiful insights of Aquinas regarding, and I'm going to start with just the 11th article, Whether I'm skipping the first 10, uh, and whether the saints in heaven pray for us, and, and we know this, right? Um, he says that prayers offered for others proceed from love, from charity. He says the greater the charity of the saints in heaven, the more they pray for us, wayfarers, since the latter, us, oh, since they, the saints, can be helped by prayer. Though I'm sorry, the, the wayfarers, us, can be helped by prayers, and the more closely um, they, we are united to God, uh, saints are united to God, the more their prayers are efficacious. For the divine order is such that lower beings receive an overflow of the excellence of the higher. And I love that. So he's he's using this beautiful principle of how this idea, remember we talked about the good is that which overflows itself and how the Lord as pure, perfect, infinite good overflows himself in the very act of creation and creating um, everything out of nothing, creating us from nothing and then elevating us into that status of children of God. And yet in this beautiful order of the body of Christ, this beautiful order of of heaven, um, there is a uh, an amazing thing that happens that we have the overflow of the higher to the lower. So you've heard me share this before. You see it in Revelation chapter 1 at the very beginning where God the Father reveals everything through his word. 
through Jesus, the Son. But the Son is intending to speak to the communities. And the way that God the Son, Jesus, is used by the Father to reveal his will to the communities is that Jesus sends an angel who speaks to uh, John, who then speaks to the bishops of each of the communities so that they can then receive the message. So you see this, what, mediation. You see the sense of overflow, higher to lower. Sometimes you see it in like what like a champagne glass, um, like waterfall thing where you pour one into the one at the top and then it overflows into the other glasses and it overflows, 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 sort of like that. And so you have uh, in the, the order of God, God is not threatened by his saints, but he loves to honor the prayers of the saints for us, the wayfarers, the one who are on the way home. He says this, that the saints ask whatever God wishes to take place through their prayers, and they pray for that which they deem will be granted through their prayers according to God's will. So, uh, and then the last little comment about this particular article, it is God's will that inferior beings should be helped by all those that are above them, whereas we ought to pray not only uh, to those that are higher, but also to the lower saints else we would have to implore the mercy of God alone. Nevertheless, it happens sometimes that prayers addressed to a saint of lower degree are more efficacious, either because he is implored with greater devotion or because God wishes to make known his sanctity. How cool is that? What a great insight from Aquinas. Like, who comes up with this stuff? It is so powerful that a lesser saint, because otherwise if if you know, he's saying just just approach Jesus directly. But if you're going to lean on the saints, you, you don't just address only Mary, the Blessed Mother, or Saint Joseph. But even lesser saints and lesser saints uh, might end up having more efficacy. They might be more effective in their being vessels of communicating God's grace because of the devotion of us who are praying, or because God wants to draw attention to these saints, to lift up their lives as, uh, as examples and models for us. Um, so that's powerful stuff. Well, let's, let's go to the next one about whether our prayer should be vocal and whether attention is a necessary condition of prayer. Very relevant for my conversation with you guys right now and how I was addressing my kids about praying in a way that could be heard and praying with a sense of you mean it, you're attempting it, you're putting your effort in. And I'll talk about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you today. This is Tom Curran and I'm reflecting with you on, well, right now on the gift of prayer in the Summa Theologica, talking about this question number 83 in the second part of the second part of the Summa Theologica. Article 12 was whether prayer should be vocal. And he's saying, yes, uh, prayer should be vocal. A prayer is uh, commonly vocal. And um, when he talks about um, the, 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 the blessing of vocal prayer, praying out loud, he says it this way. He said, the voice is employed in such prayers for three reasons. First, in order to excite interior devotion, whereby the mind of the person praying is raised to God. Because by means of external signs, whether of words or of deeds, the human mind is moved as regards apprehension, and consequently, also as regards the affections. And so... 
um, he's, he says, did you follow that? Did you follow what he's saying there? That um, when we pray out loud, we're saying words that have meaning. And when we stop and think about what am I saying when I say those words, they mean something to me. Well, the meaning of those words can stir in us a certain holy desire. And actually, at this point, uh, Aquinas in the Summa quotes St. Augustine. He says, Augustine says that by means of words and other signs, we stir ourselves, we arouse ourselves more effectively to an increase of holy desire. So um, saying words of the prayers out loud can have a, a beautiful effect of not only helping our mind be stirred to understand, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually intending a certain outcome. I, I, I'm intending to express something to God about who he is, about my situation, about our relationship through this prayer. And when that's done well, when it's done meaningfully, it can stir your emotions, your affections, that aspect of your life as well, holy desires. I, I think a, a really um, a, a recent example that has become much more well-known in the last, let's call it decade, is this uh, prayer by uh, Father um, Dolindo Ruotolo. It's the Jesus You Take Over prayer. There's something still very fresh and powerful about saying those words. You know, Jesus, I abandon myself to you. Take care of everything. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. You take over. Just those phrases. Take care of everything. And Jesus, you take over. Well, those phrases have a freshness to them, don't they? For me, they do. And when I hear them prayed, especially when I'm in a, a place where I'm a bit overwhelmed, leaning into those prayers, allowing those words to carry me, has a really powerful effect, doesn't it? Can, can you see how that can stir your heart and your mind to express something about who God is, about your situation, about what you're hoping from the Lord. So um, having prayer be vocal, is, is uh, it, it can have a very important effect. However, Aquinas goes on. He says, um, if words distract or in any way impede the mind, we should abstain from them. And this happens chiefly to those whose mind is sufficiently prepared for devotion without having recourse to those signs. So basically he's saying, if you think of the rosary, the praying of the words of the rosary uh, said in a way that is attempting to express devotion, understanding, and stir the heart is very fitting when we are praying at that discursive level, at that level of, I mean what I say, I say what I mean, and I say so intentionally and with devotion. But as we go deeper into prayer, and we're principally using the rosary as a means of meditation, where we're 
using our imagination and our memory and our reason to ponder the mysteries, the particular mysteries of the rosary, then the words are, are less needed. The words are there to help create that context of removing the distraction and creating a rhythm. And even more when we move into a contemplative way of praying the rosary, where it's not about expressing words with devotion or even expressing um, those words in a way that'll allow our mind to focus. No, this is all now about the spirit, about the depths of our heart communing in a sense of attentiveness or in a sense of dwelling together with the Lord in contemplative silence. And so it's quieting the mind as well as um, allowing the words to pass into silence. And so that's when we would not be using the uh, vocal prayer. Okay, he said there were three reasons. What's the second? What's the second reason why vocal prayer is necessary? He said second, the voice is used in praying as though to pay a debt, so that man may serve God with all that he has from God. That is to say, not only with his mind, but also with his body. And this, uh, and this applies to prayer. And so, for instance, um, um, one of my kiddos praying the rosary tonight, um, when I laid out the standard that said, let's pray together, let's pray out loud, let's pray words like we mean them, kind of using Aquinas here, um, at a certain point there was a sense of saying, you know, it's a little bit late, I can kind of lie down and I can become a little bit more mumbly in my prayers. And I was like, uh, no, sit up. No, if you have the ability to put focused attention and um, uh, real effort into things that you enjoy, then you know what? Put some effort into praying well. This is, this is about expressing your relationship with God well. So let's, let's really strive to do our best. You'd, you'd put in much better effort if it was uh, some athletic activity or in your studies. You'd never do this in a thousand situations. Why would you do this in your most fundamental relationship, in your expressing of your relationship with God? So pay the debt. Use your voice well in your prayer. Third, there's a third reason. He said, we have recourse to vocal prayer through a certain overflow from the soul into the body through an excess of feeling. My heart has been glad and my tongue rejoices. Uh, quoting the psalm. And all I can say is, I love that when that actually arrives on the scene. I think that there's a, let's call it a, a mysterious relationship between how well we um, go from inside out, right? So from the heart's affection, it overflows into the word said. But I think I'm working mostly with a situation here where say the words externally and allow those be used as a means by God to get onto the get into the inside, right? To get into the inside. So, in fact, this is the last the last thing I'll say about this question, then I'll quickly cover the get to the last one about attention and how necessary that is. He says you don't pray in order to get men's attention. You don't pray to be heard by others. But he says it's not wrong to be seen by others in your prayer by the words and deeds you do, but rather to do this or that in order to be seen by men. So it's not about drawing attention to yourself. That's not why we do it. Okay. So what about this idea of 
um, is it required that we pay attention in prayer for it to bear fruit? And he says, yes. He said that even holy men sometimes suffer from a wandering of the mind when they pray. Uh, and isn't that like comforting? Even holy, holy people will suffer from a wandering of the mind? And he says that this question of paying attention applies chiefly to vocal prayer. Accordingly, we must observe that a thing is necessary in two ways. Um, so I, I'm going I'm to go too far down the trail if I try to cover all of this. Basically, he says this, it is not necessary that prayer should be attentive throughout the entire prayer because the force of the original intention, which cause, uh, with which one sets about praying, renders the whole prayer meritorious. Isn't that powerful? So don't get discouraged if you go to prayer and you find that, okay, I'm here, I'm attentive, I'm glad I'm here, but then you get into the prayer and you get tired and, and, you, and you start losing your focus. That can happen. Carrie, uh, I know, gets a little discouraged sometimes when we go to adoration on Tuesday nights. Um, we're there a little bit late in the evening, and she just is like, ah, you know, I'm just too old for this, too old for praying at that time of day, and I just lose the attentiveness. Aquinas, he has a beautiful thing to say. When you get launched from that good intention, it renders the whole prayer meritorious, even if we lose our attention. He says this, that God chiefly looks at the original intention, and that is sufficient to obtain the good effect. So if the original intention is lacking, then prayer will lack both merit and effectiveness. That uh, Gregory says, God he does not hear the prayers of those who do not pay attention in their prayer. So yes, it is necessary to pay attention, but it's necessary to get launched well, even if the intention flags. All right, I'm out of time today, but I hope that this was a blessing to you. All right, God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.